And I know you have, so I'm not going to ask you again. Instead, I'm going to do this. This is It's Raining Ben, and I am, I am Ben. Now, normally what I'd say at this point is, aha, it's not just me. No, it wouldn't just rain me, that would be crazy. But that's exactly what is happening, it is just raining me. This is two solo shows in a week. Uh, if you count a week as being, so, never mind. This is me on my own, uh, physically, but spiritually, mentally, uh, every other way. I'm very much backed up, I have... The support of all my many fans. You've uh, you've very kindly rallied round once again to uh, provide me with topics and questions and all sorts of all sorts. So I guess this is it's raining Ben question section, but you know extended over a very long period of time. Um, I'm not going to start the question section just now. Instead, I'm going to play a song. It's a song by a band called Radiohead, and I don't know if you know about them, but I think they can really go places. This is a song called Body Snatchers.
He's seen it coming. Quite a relevant thing to finish on because uh, it just has been brought my attention by uh, one of my one of my many fans, as I say, that uh, our uh, our esteemed PM, old Terry May, is about to step out and say something, something gigantic, something unexpected. And I've been asked to speculate on what it could be. I mean, I'm here to serve you, so frankly, I have to try. Um, I mean, there's a few options on the table. Uh, there are currently some boats sailing towards a little country called North Korea, so who knows? Maybe war. Probably not. Probably not. Let's just say probably not. Um, maybe old um, Her Majesty. I mean, she's getting on. Maybe His Majesty also getting on. But this is all wild speculation and entirely unfounded, so let's just go with what seems more likely. Probably a general election. So to the person who asked that, that's my answer. Um, and as we only give definitive answers on this show, I'm going to say it's probably that. Of course, it's great to speculate on, because in about uh, nine minutes, I'm going to find out for sure. So really, as evergreen content goes, this does not qualify. But anyway, there are more important things to talk about. I've got a few other questions that have come in, so I think I'll jump onto those, because realistically, what's more important? So anyway, John, young John Chambers from London, asks, At the start of Ghostbusters 2, when Ray and Winston arrive at the kids' party, all the kids are disappointed because they wanted He-Man instead. I've often wondered, if He-Man had shown up, what would his party act have been? And how would he, how much would he have charged? Now, these are all important questions, as I say, so I think I'm going to address them all individually and then collectively at the end. So, I find myself accidentally talking like a politician. I think just mentioning old Mabel's has got me triggered. Anyway, let's, let's just carry on. He-Man, his performance, the reason why uh, there is a backstory to that, obviously, everything in every kind of film, every kind of artistic piece, there's always a backstory. Because the backstory is what informs the uh, behavior of the actor in the scene. In this instance, it was the fact that the parents had at the request of their children, originally booked a He-Man impersonator. It's worth pointing out, of course, that's the difference between the Ghostbusters and He-Man. Children were very unfair in that regard. He-Man's not real. Ghostbusters were actually Ghostbusters. Unreasonable children. Anyway, he was originally booked, but it was it became quickly apparent that realistically the only act that He-Man is able to perform for any kind of large group, whether he's impersonator or real, is to either slay things, uh, or at the very least defeat them, or effectively just to be a kind of homoerotically charged uh, dancer. Because, I mean, frankly, if you've seen the show, I think when the parents, uh, having booked a man, not knowing who this person was, just assuming he was some kind of double male individual, just a very, you know, all the kinds of male, he was a he-man, uh, they found out and they've discovered an image of the, the man they'd booked and thought, maybe this is the most appropriate thing for our children. So they instead they said, well... Let us just let our children know that this world is full of danger. It's full of ghosts, it's full of ghouls. And um, somehow they've gone undetected for a very long time, but these three, uh, well, four, technically, uh, humorous individuals have discovered them. Uh, and our children need to know about that. So let's get them in. Again, very much without an act, unless there's something to defeat, slay, or such like. Um, and they charge less. Good to know that, John, isn't it? So anyway, basically what you have there is a situation where um, the, some would say, prudish concerns of parents overwhelm the actual uh, you know, enjoyment of the child, who at the end of the day wouldn't be concerned 
with such issues as difficult relationship with homosexual individuals. I mean, that's not something the children are concerned about. And there's, there's a lot to that show when you watch it. Anyway, Jim Alfred has asked, what would have happened if Ray Winston had turned up instead? That's a sub-question. Rather than Ray and Winston turning up, what would have happened if Ray Winston had turned up? And in fact, it seems that John Chambers had asked me to actually ask, answer that question, because it seemed more important. I think if he turned up, it could have only been better for the children, for the parents, for everyone, because, you know, he's kind of a bigger celebrity than the Ghostbusters. But at that time, just, I mean, assuming you actually mean Ray Winston rather than Ray Winston in character, because that would have meant somebody kind of threatening, violent, unpleasant turning up at a children's party. These, these questions aren't specific enough sometimes. I have to kind of work in the gaps I have. Anyway, Nicholas Worrell asks, uh, who is the best AA? Uh, the car one, the alcoholic support group, Gill, or Milne? Now, I had to read that question out because it's a very good question. I'm slightly frustrated because I feel like I should have written that question because it's sort of, it's got my stank all over it and, and I've been writing a lot of questions for this show for quite a long time and that's the kind of format I would like to go to is the, which is the best of a series of things where category A uh, is related to categories B, C, D, blah, 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 in relation to the fact they all have a shared homophone. Unfortunately, I didn't write this one. That was written by Nicholas. So, well, I'm just going to give you a straight answer, Nicholas, because frankly, I feel like I don't have the motivation to be charming about this one. The, the answer is Milne. Just is, isn't it? I mean, don't be wrong. Helping people with alcoholic problems is, is very, very valiant and Helping people out of broken down on the side of the road is also very valiant, but at the end of the day, Winnie the Pooh. Not to mention, of course, now we are, well, various ages, depending on the poetry book I'm referring to. Priorities. Priorities, Nicholas. Finally, uh, well, finally for this section, Alan has asked, what became of the likely lads? And, uh, well, I hope this gives so's, well, goes some way to answering your question. It probably won't. Please don't get me wrong, see I forgive you in a song we'll call the likely lands But if it's left to you, I know exactly what you do with all the dreams we had Cause blood runs thicker, how it's thicker, Steve, you know It's important to you, it's important to me I try to make you see, but you don't want to know If you paddle some along when you're forgiven in a song or out to touch my life Songs are still the dreams we have But blood runs 
song playing without meaning to play it such as ill-prepared shows no let's not say that anyway what we can say however is that the speculation made just before we went to a song there has now been uh well confirmed some would say that by jumping in to speculate uh, minutes before it happened that i'd have quite an easy job of getting it right um but then i'd say the same for all of the press coverage which i've just been reviewing anyway what i'm trying to say here is that there is going to be an election on May the 8th. Interesting that she chose May for the election. A little bit of bias there, don't you think? Like, just, just an inherent bias, not necessarily one that people would consider when going to the booth, but standing there with, with a series of names in hand with the word May at the top of the page, and then, you know, sort of effectively also on the page lower down. Might turn a few people's heads, I'm just saying that. Anyway... That'll be interesting. Almost certainly been called because they're aware that they can probably win it. Because why else would you call one? But, you know, nothing's predictable anymore. Nothing is predictable anymore. Apart from, of course, the question section. I realize I didn't play the jingle, so... Just because, well... I suppose why not? Here's the jingle. Answering questions from listeners who wrote in on Facebook. So, here's a question from Kirsty, young Kirsty Berg in Totnes. Kirsty asks, would they both have fit on the raft at the end of Titanic? That's a very good question, Kirsty. Uh, the answer is yes. Um, but unfortunately, due to the uh, necessities of narrative, to drive towards some kind of um, some kind of emotionally resonant conclusion, if they'd simply uh, both got on the raft and survived, I mean, I don't know, what do you think? Do you think uh, we would have had the same level of success from Celine Dion's My Heart Will Go On? I don't think so, and I think that's that's something to consider when you're trying to adjust classic film endings. 
some would say that maybe it would be a, a better ending to Gone with the Wind, spoilers alert, if they ended up together. But then you wouldn't have had uh, old Red saying, frankly, my dear, I this is a, a waste of my time, or something like that. Trino, just, just think before you act. So, uh, we've also got another question here from, uh, oh, Alzar again. Good old Al, young Alzar in London. He asks, who drank all my milk? Now, possibly unfair to ask me because I, there could be multiple answers to this, but I'm going to go purely with what I know from the wider world rather than your own individual little world. This isn't you know, necessarily how your life is. Maybe your life is different. But what I know about milk drinkers is that there's one quite famous one, probably Daniel Day-Lewis. Um, admittedly in character at the time, but you know, when people ascribe quotes to people, they rarely actually take into account the fact they're writing as a character or speaking in character. So let's just carry on with that tradition. Uh, he said that he will drink your milkshake. And of course, how do you make a milkshake? With milk. So that's one for you. And a second question from Alzar, just to, just to finish up, I think this is quite an important one to answer. He says, uh, when are you going to move on from this exploitative free labor setup? I'm assuming he's referring to the fact that I'm demanding my content from other people rather than coming up with it myself. And uh, the answer is, not soon, if not possibly never. Because frankly, I've, I've got better things to do. Anyway, one, one more thing, I think, before we... Uh, oh no, let's have a couple more, actually. This one's quite good. Here's one from... Uh, from uh, well, I'll get the full name correct, because it's such a good name. Dieter Devereux. Oh, yeah, Dieter Devereux. I'm assuming that's how you pronounce it. Uh, Dieter asks, potato or egg? If you could only choose one for life, which would it be? Now, again, this is a more of a personal question uh, rather than the more sort of general, you know, life-defining questions that we tend to tackle on this show. This is quite personal. Now, I can understand the link between the two, both are beige, both are a sort of oval on average. Difference in sizes, you can get quite a range of eggs, quite a different range of potatoes. So, you know, much like that. If we're extrapolating simply to egg the more commonly edible bird egg, rather than, say, any egg in any kind of uh, bird or mammalian or basically any kind of um, sexually reproductive creature, we're probably going to assume you just mean the edible variety. Um, and with Easter just passed, it would seem rude not to pick the egg, but at the same time the egg has had its time. So I'm going to go, I'm going I'm to take the Irish route here. I'm going to say potato. Commonly known as the Irish route. I'm going to take that route. I want to say potato because one more question here. This is uh, from uh, this is from Fielden, young Fielden, whose name I'm changing because I've already read out three of his questions. Uh, he says, oh, actually, this is more of a more of a serious concern here. So I think this is only fair to really address this properly. Okay. Fielden says, I'm worried that my partner is cheating on me but I don't know what to do. On Friday night, he went out with the boys. At least, that's what he says. He came home around three, but when I looked at the credit cards... Try that one more time. Credit card receipt. It was dinner for two. The problem is, I don't think it's right. But I also think... Is it okay? Now again, Alan, I feel like I have to answer this question using the... The only form of answer I really know how to give, which is one that's sort of chosen for humorous effect musically, because I grew up on Radio 2 and Jeremy Vine taught me a lot. 
This is Whitney Houston. Yeah, yeah. 
So again, and I hope that was uh, helpful. It's possible I did just uh, repeat your own uh, question back to you in the form of a song which you were referencing rather than actually uh, answering your question. In fact, it's so possible that that is, it's so possible that it's actually true. And what's more possible than the truth? There we go. A little correction here. It turns out that actually she's, uh, she by which I mean RPM. Old Terry, old Terry Mason. She's not called the election for May the 8th. It's for June the 8th. So unfortunately my assertion that maybe she was trying to bias the vote towards herself by using a month with her own name in it. As much as it was quite entertaining, it wasn't true. So it's going to fall into that section of, uh, un, well, un- entertaining non-truths. A very busy category these days. But anyway, there's some important stuff to attend to, and it comes under the name uh, Asking Questions from Listeners Who Wrote In On Facebook, uh, which has a jingle that goes like this. Answering questions from listeners who wrote in on Facebook. So I'm going to. Uh, now here's a question uh, from old, old Worrells. Old worrying Worrells. He says, now that Girls has finished, the HBO show, will Lena Dunham finally write a show about boys? It's just not fair. Now, that's a very fair point. Very fair point. The show Girls is almost entirely about girls. In fact, there's only one boy, a token boy in that lineup there. Some would say that, uh, well, a show about girls should be about girls. But I say this, where were the boys when the girls came out to play? Where were they? Were they at home? Maybe fixing the meals? Maybe looking after the children? Maybe raising the children of tomorrow? Where were they? Where, were they were they drinking and partying and generally getting along crazy? Were they smoking cigars and drinking cigars and smoking ports? No. They were at home, looking after the children of tomorrow. And isn't it time they got a show just to really acknowledge that fact? Isn't it time that they got their girls, by which I mean boys? So please, Lena, write a show called Boys. And have only one token female. Because sometimes you need to look beyond your own narrow worldview. You know, think about the people who really put the effort in. The boys. Follow-up question from Nick. Uh, why are the girls in girls meaner than the girls in mean girls? And what does this mean for girls? A question that unfortunately is, is so good that I can't really answer it because... Again, it's the kind of question I'd ask, meaning that it doesn't really have a good answer. It's just a very good question. If anyone has an answer, though, please feel free to write in. You can uh, you can contact me through, you know, various mediums. Just shout loud enough, probably. It's quite a small town. I'll try and give an answer. Basically, I'd say it's because that the uh, rating on the film Mean Girls was, was uh, age-wise lower than the rating on Girls, meaning that the level of meanness that was appropriate within the film... Uh, was was significantly higher. But as I say, it's a very boring, very, very boring answer, isn't it? Quite unpleasantly boring. So I'm asking a different question. Why does the word flammable mean exactly the same as the word inflammable? And if you say flammable too many times, why is the word flammable so weird? We've just discovered that second part is correct, but uh, the first part asked by 
and Kirsty Berg in Totnes. I can explain that quite straightforwardly. Um, it's it's a it's a brief answer. Basically, uh, flammable is what is known as an auto antonym. An antonym being the opposite, yet uh, you know rather than a synonym, it's the the anti, the uh, antonym. Uh, an auto one is one that does it itself. Self antonyms. There's quite a few of them. There's like off. You mean you can um, you know something can go off, or it can be turned off. Very much opposites. Impregnable can be that you can't get inside it, and yet it can also mean other things. Um, to screen can mean to show someone something. You can screen the film, but you can also screen something so as not to allow it to be seen. You can have a refrain, which means to repeat something theoretically endlessly, but you also can refrain from doing a thing, which means to not do it ever. And also, quite excellently, you can overlook something, meaning you can refuse to actually or accidentally fail to look at it, but you can also be deliberately making sure you're looking at it. I think what we've really learned here is that our language is, is quite ridiculous. I, mean, I remember I was listening to an interview with Supervet, the Supervet, Noel Fitzpatrick, uh, quite an astoundingly interesting person. I had not quite registered because they gave this show the title Supervet, which rather undermined his level of passion and philosophy that is involved in what he's trying to achieve. Um, and he was talking about the fact, the fact that in the world of uh, medicine, there's a, there's like there's biases in both directions. You can be more interested in saving human life or more interested in saving animal life. You can love a dog more than you can love a stranger, um, in spite of the fact that the stranger is your own species. And he was saying how the word to doctor something is rather negative, whereas to vet it is, is rather positive. I don't really have anything else to say about that, but that's pretty interesting, isn't it? But anyway... Um, Based on that little question we just had there, and also kind of related to the first two questions, I've got a song for you. Uh, it's called It's a Man's 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 World. Again, a bit of a verbal play there, because I guess that means that there is... I mean, a man's man is a butler, so a man's man's man must be a butler's butler. Apparently the world belongs to them. But also, it wouldn't be nothing, nothing, without a woman or a girl. I mean, it would be something without a woman or a girl. Isn't it good to pick apart song lyrics with high-level pedantry? Nicholas, host of the Killing a Frog podcast, which I recommend you listen to thoroughly. I may have stolen your bit here a little bit. But this is James Brown. Made me the boat for the water 
To a place I knew before I started to rhyme There was a step that I would stoop on every day It was my wild, the day was long I wasn't afraid of any stupid ass rapper What he got something to say? If he ever pulled up, I know what game he could play Kicked ass and he'd lose or kick his ass all day All day Day. So in my mind, I rule. No one could come close. Whether that today is true or not, that might be a boast. But if you get sleeve street, you better check the time. Cause if it's not, it's my bedtime. Damn, I went to Nam. I could do like on and hologram. 
Sam's keeping up when I'm off the pace Up the sleeve, it's only gonna end one way You better freeze, I've got the keys Making a mess of MCs, it's a breeze on the scene But greener than green, lean and mean like a rap machine All showing no go, so if you wanna know I run out of flow, so let's go Yeah, two songs in a row there. It's a rare treat on the It's Raining Ben show. So, yeah. I, I can't help but continue to speculate on this old little General Election situation, the old GE from the uh, from the PM. Uh, it's MP, most important. Um, but at the same time, uh, interestingly futile. I think I've been rather um, challenged uh, in terms of uh, having much faith in in most things recently i think we all have i think the sense of kind of i mean i suppose things are changing more than they maybe have done for a while but also kind of not and uh yeah i don't know what are your thoughts what are your thoughts do you think anyone might actually come out of this election having any real improvement in that in any situation at all do you reckon there'll be a kind of oh well that's better or maybe, of course, you think that everything's great as it is. I mean, maybe I've just got a rather skewed viewpoint. Or a skewed point, if you will. Uh, some would say that's actually definitely absolutely true. Because, well, I live in Totnes. But then I assume quite a lot of you do too, so... We're all on this skewed point together, aren't we? Being dropped out of an airplane and plunging towards the ground, waving our hat in the air. Yeah. Anyway, I think it's best I could do something completely unrelated to anything like that at all right now and just, well, read a story. Um, it's not what I particularly choose to do right now because I've uh, not actually read this story for probably about a year to myself or, well, anyone. But, you know, when you've got a show to fill and you haven't completely uh, thought through what you're going to do, then it's what happens, isn't it? Anyway, this is a song called um, The Bird That Lost Its Head. I think I should probably back it up with some kind of some kind of music. Let's see if I can find something that'll back this up nicely. Give me just one moment. I should probably fill this little bit when I'm finding a thing with actual talk, but as I say, I just think lack of preparation here. Oh well nothing. Let's just go with let's go with some natural some natural this. There was once a bird that lost its head. Each day it left its hutch to search for the head, but each day at sundown it returned just the same. The other birds would call out to it in an effort to help and point out the obvious flaws. You can't find your head, they would cry, without eyes to see and without a mind to remember. But their advice went unheard without ears to hear it, 
and the bird carried on in vain. From time to time in the bird's lonely search, a spark of hope would appear. Its wings would alight on a small rounded object with a protrusion that felt like a beak. At last, it would cry, my troubles are past, and it would place the thing on its neck. But over and again, the same sorry fact would face the bird. This wasn't its head, it didn't fit right, and did none of the jobs a head should. With a sigh, it would place the thing back on the ground and move on to search once again. Then one day the bird came to a hill and then to its top where there stood a tiny wood house. In the house lived a monkey and, sat by its window, it saw the odd bird approaching. Now, when most creatures first saw the bird, their reactions were most often cruel. Laughter was common, as was derision, for a bird so lost as to lose its head. The monkey said nothing, knowing words wouldn't help, but came out to meet it instead. The monkey watched the bird as it worked and saw what had to be done. It reached out slowly, not to startle the bird, and gently took its wing in its hand. Come with me, said the monkey without any words. Okay, said the bird without speaking. Together they walked and searched for the head for 33 days and nights. In the rain and the cold and in unfriendly winds, they walked all over the land. The bird was still odd, and the monkey still silent, but they felt quite at home side by side. At night, the monkey would make a nest in a tree, and the bird would gather up food. Then, with bellies full, they'd sleep safe and warm in their nest, tangled up one with the other. On the 34th morning, the monkey awoke, a beautiful sunny day. It turned to the bird who blinked and woke up, and saw the new sun rising as well. The monkey looked into the bird's blue eyes and smiled. Spring is here, said the monkey. Yes, said the bird, and smiled back. Do you have a song now? My own sense of self-respect, I had to point out this was in some ways a request. Sorry guys.
Yeah. I mean, I play that in reference to a question. This question is this. Who is the best JJ? Abrams or 72? That was from young Jim Alfred in London. And, uh, well, I kind of played that simply as I thought we were best to, you know, let's let's show, not tell. On this show, we, we show. I mean, that seems obvious when you look at the words, but not everyone thinks about it. And in this case, we have J.J. Uh, Abrams, uh, the man behind, well, Lost, uh, and currently involved in both the stars. Dual star, J.J. Abrams, Star Wars and Star Trek. Two shows commonly compared simply because they have the same word in the title, uh, but otherwise really quite unrelated. So you've got that, among other achievements. Um, and you've got J.J. 72, the uh, band behind that song. Uh, and as far as I'm aware, not that many other things. It's, uh, again, it's up to you. You decide. Everyone can have their own opinion. No, that's not true. I'm just joking. It's definitely J.J. Abrams, but, um, you know, no, it just is. So one more question here from uh, Alan, because frankly, he's just, you know, he asks a lot of questions. I like to give him a lot of answers. Seems a fair response. He says, uh, Camus or Sartre? Now, this is the kind of question you get a lot when you do a radio uh, radio phone-in questioning kind of thing. This is the kind of thing that Steve Wright has to deal with almost constantly. In fact, they have a, a policy in the studio, along with the policy to play uh, that fake applause they like playing in the background of the old thing. Uh, they also have a policy of never answering this question, which is why I understand that you come to me with this, because obviously I said any questions, any questions. I'm not like Steve, I'm not so prescriptive. So... Looking at this question, uh, Camus versus Sartre, I'd say what you've, what you've, what this is an example of, Alan, and the reason why I think so many people have rejected this question on, on mainstream radio is that it's, it's evidence of a false dichotomy. It's, uh, it's a perfect, it's a textbook example. Some would say of a false dichotomy because you can and you should and you will, and I'm sure you do, have both. You can have your Camus, and your Sartre too. You can have your Sartre and eat it with Camus. You can Camus and you should Sartre. You see? Let me make this more clear. Um, imagine you have a bookshelf uh, with only two books on it. Firstly, why did you get a bookshelf for only two books? Get more books, one solution. But if you did just have two books on that bookshelf and one was Camus and one was Sartre, not actually the people, there were books by those people, you understand what I mean? I have to correct myself all the time. If that was on this shelf, right, this 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 beautiful shelf you can see in your mind's eye right now, one was Camus, one was Sartre, would one throw the other from the shelf? That's an interesting question in itself, would they? I think it's fair to say that Sartre probably would not need to throw Camus from the shelf because Camus would have probably thrown himself from the shelf. It's a little Camus joke there. I think uh, what I should really do is just play some more music, because what's the world without music? Um, well, it's it's the, the world of any animal, really, or any any creature that isn't, any any living thing that isn't human, animate objects as well, they also get along pretty well without music. But do they get along? Yes, they do. Yes, yes, they do. So this is, uh, well, let's see what we have. Let's look down the list here. Oh, there's an idea. 
Jefferson Jacques Borel at the Olympia 64. I think we should. This is a song called Amsterdam. And if you speak uh, French or, I suppose, Wallonian, Belgian, um, it's probably full of very upsetting language. But since I'm in Britain, I get to play it. <laughs> Amsterdam. Amsterdam, il y a des marins qui chantent, les rêves qui hantent au large d'Amsterdam. Dans le port d'Amsterdam, il y a des marins qui dorment comme des oriflammes le long des bergements. Dans le port d'Amsterdam, Il y a des marins qui meurent Pleins de pierres et de drames Aux premières lueurs Mais dans le port d'Amsterdam Il y a des marins qui naissent Dans la chaleur épaisse Des longueurs océanes Dans le port d'Amsterdam Il y a des marins qui mangent sur des nappes trop blanches, des poissons ruisselants. Ils vous montrent des dents à croquer la fortune, à décroisser la lune, à bouffer des haubans. Et ça sent la morue jusque dans le cœur des frites que leurs grosses mains invitent à revenir en plus. Puis se lèvent en riant dans un bruit de tempête. Ferment leurs braguettes et sortent en rotant dans le port d'Amsterdam. Il y a des marins qui dansent en se frottant la panse sur la panse des femmes. Ils tournent, ils dansent comme des soleils crachés dans le son déchiré d'un accordéon france. Ils se tordent le cou pour mieux s'entendre rire jusqu'à ce que tout à coup l'accordéon Geste grave, alors le regard fier, ils ramènent leur patave jusqu'en pleine lumière. Dans le port d'Amsterdam, il y a des marins qui boivent, et qui boivent et reboivent, et qui reboivent encore. Ils boivent à la santé des putains d'Amsterdam, dans beaucoup d'ailleurs. Enfin, ils boivent aux dames qui leur donnent leur joli corps, qui leur donnent leur vertu pour une pièce en or. Et quand ils ont bien bu, se plante le nez au ciel, se mouche dans les étoiles, et ils pissent comme je pleure sur les femmes infidèles dans le port d'Amsterdam, dans le port d'Amsterdam. Thank you there to Mr. Brell. Um, I've been asked, uh, as is now traditional at the end of the show, to step in on behalf of uh, your your friend Ben and my uh, 
my great grand nephew, Ben, to uh, to answer one last question before we before we toddle off away into the Tuesday. Uh, well, at least this Tuesday. So he's left me a question to answer as he's gone to make some tea, as is his his way, his wont, his want. Uh, this question is from a young man called Jalfred. He's asked, um, why does it hurt? Now, normally I'm quite a, a, a bluff individual, um, not one to, not one to really uh, get too sensitive or too gentle or too quiet on a subject. But this is this question has struck me quite quite firmly between the nose, and that's why I approach you with this slightly more gentle voice than I normally would, because. Honestly, there are so many ways to answer that question, Telford. Uh, the first would be to say that you may have injured yourself. But that's flippant. I assume that if you had, you would know. Uh, the second is to say that uh, because, well, because life hurts. But again, that seems flippant because uh, there's not a lot of alternatives to life. If, uh, if that was all it was that you needed to avoid, then, well, I wouldn't really be giving very good advice. But uh, from the tone of your message and from the, the look of your face and from the, the letters you used, from the alphabet that you employed, I think that it's reasonable to assume that what happened here is love. And as I think we all know, love, well, it, it smarts. Uh, there's plenty of evidence for this. Um, if you look at history, if you look at Tales like the tale of Oedipus, uh, the tale of uh, Theseus and the Minotaur, the tale of, uh, well, of, of anything, really. A bit repetitive, really. But uh, there's one particular example that really fully explains what I mean. And uh, it's a favorite of mine, and today we're using songs to answer questions, so this may not be an answer, but at least it might be a tonic, a balm for your broken heart. This is a little song called, well, I think you'll hear. So thank you for listening to the show, and we'll see you next week. Probably with a guest. Probably not just me and Ben waffling on. Ta-da.